Dean and Calvary, let's all stand and join together in prayer.
Till he 
satisfy. Only you can satisfy, Jesus. Lord, nothing in this world can fulfill us like you would. We weren't created to be fulfilled by anything but you, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that we would see you clearly, that as we seek you tonight, as we seek your face and your presence, Lord God, that we would be filled, we'd be satisfied with you and you alone, Lord God, nothing else. That we would know you, Lord, intimately, truly. We would not be those who go through some religious motion and pretend to be uh, close to God, but that we truly would, Lord, that you would know us tonight, Jesus. That our hearts would be open before you, that we would experience your voice, your filling, Lord, your equipping, Jesus. We truly believe that you are our wellspring, Lord. And so we come to you tonight, Lord, because we thirst for that living water. And we pray that we would drink to the fill, Lord, with the presence of your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name. tried to hide you and steal you away Death tried to keep you inside of the grave The enemy fought you He tried but he lost You cannot be starved for freedom you tore down the walls the weight of our burdens you carried it all our fears and our failures hang dead on the cross you cannot be starved Stop our God. 
There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing, nothing, no. There is nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. Mover of mountains, breaker of chains. Jesus is triumph over the grave. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won. Nothing can stand against our God. Thank you guys so much for the blessing of fellowship. Thank you for this church that we can gather together and uh, be with. We ask that you bless our time together, bless our time in the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we take uh, a moment and greet some folks around us. Hi, Mark. Good, how are you?
All right, guys. Good evening. Sweet time of worship. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, picking up in chapter 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. A couple announcements. Uh, I got a little message that little Sandy Gualtier that comes, we all know little Sandy, she's having some chest pains. And so she's at the hospital checking to see what's going on, hoping it's not a heart attack. So we want to pray for, for little Sandy. And then uh, uh, Angela Romine said, sent me a text and said, the judge will have his decision on the temporary injunction tomorrow. People sound hopeful. Keep praying that the injunction is not granted. And so that's the, the, the SB Bill 49 thing we've been praying against. That I guess there's been a whole a big turnout at the uh, courthouse. So that's great. Absolutely great. So just keep praying for that. So Joshua chapter 6 tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can spend together in your word. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, illuminating and bringing to our eyes things that we need to hear and apply to our lives, Lord, as we dig into your word. And so we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the freedom that we have to worship you in this place, Lord, without fears of, of doors being busted down and arrested or, or persecuted. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for uh, uh, just the work you're doing here. We do pray for little Sandy, Lord, that you would just touch her body, that you'd heal her, that uh, there'd be no heart damage, no heart problems with her. And, uh, Lord, we do pray for this, uh, this judge, Lord, that has to make this decision, Lord, that uh, this injunction would not be granted, Lord, that the bill would stand where it is, Lord. So we pray for that, Lord, as the church coming together and just pray that you would you would grant that for us. And then, so, Lord, again, thank you for this time we can spend in your word tonight. Uh, we just uh, praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we looked at last time that the main lesson in Joshua chapter 5 was that we must be spiritually prepared, uh, as, as spiritually prepared people, if we're going to do the Lord's work. You know, if we're going to be successful in what God's called us to do. I have a really good friend of mine. He's a, a pastor in uh, Bangalore, India, and he's going to be coming out in September. And I can't wait for him to come out. He'll be speaking here at the church on the 24th of September, and I've been communicating with him back and forth. But he really tells me, he speaks of, of times there in India where there's this, there is a lot of demon possession going on there. We don't see it the same uh, here as he, they do in, in countries like that. And uh, he says, you know, they have a, a staff of pastors and, and elders and leaders. And, and uh, he says, if we are not prayed up, if we're not prepared to go out and fight this battle, we'll be destroyed. We'll, we'll be put down. And so, you know, you want to make sure that, that you're right with the Lord, that you, you've confessed any sin, you've turned from it, and then go out and face that spiritual battle that's ahead. And that's what we see here tonight, that uh, here the Joshua, you know, they're, they're getting ready to cross into the promised land to, to go into Jericho and, and, and man, a, a time to fight, time to get in because, man, they just crossed over the Jordan and the people were afraid, so let's go. And God says, hold on, you need to circumcise your men <laughs> and you need to, uh, you know, practice to do the Passover. Wait a minute, that's going to make us really, really weak. No, that's going to make you do what I've called you to do. Be prepared spiritually, so when you go to face the battles, you're, you're prepared. So that brings us now to, to chapter 6. And Joshua now receives some further instructions from the Lord. 
Look at verse 1 all the way down to verse 7. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So here, the Lord tells Joshua how this city is going to be conquered. Not by military might, not by the uh, uh, attack of an army, but rather in a way that only the Lord would receive the credit and the glory for, supernaturally. Notice Commander Jesus here tells Joshua to break several Levitical laws in this battle plan. According to the law of Moses, neither the ark nor the priest went into battle. At Jericho, both led the way. They also fought on the Sabbath day. On the seventh day, they were supposed to to march seven times around the wall. That far exceeded the limits the Sabbath rules placed on the Sabbath day travel. So what's the deal with those discrepancies? Remember, Jesus is leading the charge. Jesus is leading the charge. And I believe the point being made is that victory over sin is never achieved by keeping the law, but by following Jesus. With that said, though, however, whoever... Uh, heard of a wall falling down just by marching around it and shouting. But it's God's plan. This is how God wanted to show his strength. And all the people had to do was simply listen and obey. Now, I understand how, how Joshua would say, okay, Lord, we will do as you say, because Joshua heard directly from the Lord. But now Joshua has got to go back to to the people and share with them what he had just heard from the Lord and hopes that they would understand that this is what the Lord is speaking to him and not some lame brain idea that Joshua had. I mean, you recall the people said, we will follow you as long as you follow the Lord back in chapter one. Well, now was their chance. Now, could you imagine, I thought about this, being in the headquarters as Joshua gathers the leaders together and says, okay, here's our game plan. And they're all thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Okay, we'll attack at night. We'll, we'll attack this way. We'll go this way. And Joshua says, no, here's the plan. You're going to circle the city in silence once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, here it is, you're going to circle it seven times and make a whole lot of noise, and the walls are going to come down. You can almost hear the leaders going, okay, I like your plan, except it stinks. So why don't you let us do the plan, and that way it might be a really good plan. But they didn't do that. They took a step of faith, trusted that their leader Joshua was hearing from the Lord, and they obeyed. And I also think that for years, they watched Joshua's life. They watched him serve the Lord. They watched him serve Moses' as, as Moses' leadership. And so now when it was time for Joshua to lead, the people said, man, we know his character. We know he's in tune with the Lord. We know he's praying. He's seeking the Lord. So if he asks us to do something that sounds a little bit off the wall, we're going to listen to him. 
And I think that's so important, especially in leadership and in ministry in the church, when, when someone maybe is new that is raised up with a fresh vision and a heart for ministry, to let them have those opportunities to, to step out in faith and, and maybe make some changes and try some, some different things as they seek the Lord. And sure, it may not work out, it may fail, but you're giving them an opportunity to lead. And not to be so stuck in a mentality that says, well, we've always done it like this, and so we're never, we don't want to change. Rather to say, man, I am going to stand behind this person to support this person because I trust he or she is, is seeking the Lord, and, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do. So Joshua says to the people, proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. Now look at verse 8 through 14. So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say for you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So the people there obeying and they're marching and they're doing what they were called to do for six days. And now this would actually give them plenty of opportunity to examine this 30 foot high, 15 feet foot thick wall. It would give them also a big opportunity maybe to lose faith. Oh, I don't know about this plan. I mean, this, this, this looks pretty, pretty big. But they didn't. They kept marching. They kept obeying. And they kept trusting. Because they knew that they could do nothing about it. It was all up to the Lord to do the work that he was going to do. Listen, there might be some, some huge wall that you're facing right now. Be it something that's dividing you, maybe in a family member, or you and a neighbor, or a fellow believer. And God will let you keep going around and around and around in circles over the same issues until you finally come to the realization that, that you can't bring a solution to this problem. Uh, you, you, you can't solve this situation. All you can do is say, Lord, you can do this. Lord, I pray for you to move here and work in, in, in this way. And the Lord will. And, and, and when you at last get to that point, that's where the Lord says, this is what I've been waiting for. Quit trying to do it on your own. Let me do this work. Watch what I'm going to do. And it may take a month or six months or even six years, but, but there will come a time when the Lord, you'll say, oh, Lord, thank you for bringing that wall of separation down. Thank you for, for healing that relationship. Thank you for the, spirit, the work of reconciliation that you've done. And so now look at verse 15 and 16. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times, and the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So now it's time, time for the shout. They've been completely quiet for six long days, not a sound except the trumpets, but now the seventh day is here. It's here. Now it's time for, for to shout for the Lord. Well, I, I wonder, and I'm just curious, you know, what was the shouting like? 
You know, was it screaming? Was it rawr, roaring, you know? Or at, was, was it maybe something more like, 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 praise the Lord, the victory is ours, you know? The Lord has given us this city. I would like to think it would be shouts of praise that they were doing. You know, you watch football games and we think there's nothing to, to shout for your favorite team, you know? Go Chiefs, how about those Chiefs? You know, yeah. But for some people, they, they have a hard time even singing worship songs on Sunday morning. Scriptures are full of, of, of encouraging us to sing to the Lord and, and, and lift up our hearts to the Lord. Psalm 94, or rather 98, verse 4 through 6. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. I would love that. If that's what they, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, awesome, you know, at the right time. Joshua says, okay, it's time to shout. But first, he says, verses 17 to 25, I need you to remind you what, what, what you're going to do after that. Don't forget this. Look at verse 17. It says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, and every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So here Joshua reminds the people that Rahab and her family have been protected by a promise. And we talked about this in the past. We don't have the time to really go into too much of this. But, but once Rahab was saved, she had to go tell her family. And how important that when we get saved, the first thing we want to do is, is get our family saved. But I also want you to note uh, verse 18. And we'll talk about this when we get to, to chapter 7. But the Lord... Uh, it says, or Joshua says, abstain from the accursed things lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. But then in verse 19, the Lord says, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So why would he say that? Why is that important? Well, there's a principle here. See, God wants the first and the best from us in every area of our lives. God is, is looking for that. Not necessarily because he wants it for his own pleasure, but yet it all shows. Yet it shows him in all of life just how truly the Lord is all to us. He's all to us. 
See, as they moved into the promised land and this very first city they were to conquer, the first things that they took were to be devoted to the Lord. This is the, the, the gift of first fruits, if you would. It's the same way this principle is described for us in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. We know that the first fruits of our labor, our tithes, belong to the Lord. It's a dedication to God that we recognize that He is, in fact, our provision in the first place. Without Him, we would be nothing. We would have nothing. So everything we have is His. Uh, We're only giving back God a a portion of what what He so richly has blessed us with. So here God says, uh, I want the first fruits. But then we read this really difficult verse. Look at verse 21 again. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. So the people and animals are killed. The cities to be burned. And on top of that, God ordered the death of women and children. You go, whoa, how could he do that? Listen, God is a God of love and mercy. But he's also a God of justice and judgment. And God's judgments are always righteous and true. Listen, many, many people, including women and children, were killed during the flood in Genesis chapter 7. That's because God saw the wickedness of mankind, that their deeds were only evil continually. Their intent was evil. Intent was evil. So I said, I've got to do something. Many people, including women and children, will be killed when he pours out his judgment during the great tribulation period that we're going to look at on Sunday. Why? Because he, he sees that mankind refuses to repent of that wickedness and the worship of demons and the beast and the devil. Because in God's economy, there is a limit to his mercy when sin reaches its full measure. Think about this. God endured the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time before finally saying to Abraham in Genesis 18, 20, 21, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. I think if God could have judged the the Amorites way back in Genesis 15. But he told Abraham there that his descendants would be in Egypt for a long time. So there in Genesis 15, 16, it says, Then in the fourth generation they shall return her for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. See, the Amorites were given uh, mercy, given another 400 years to repent, and they wouldn't turn from their sins. So God says, okay, it's time to judge. See, God will be merciful, but not to the destruction of justice. And know that God is a God of grace, giving grace to those uh, with faith. Remember, everyone in Jericho was to be killed except those who believed, except Rahab and her family. Those who repented, they placed themselves at the mercy of the Most High God. So the inhabitants of the land of Canaan had filled up the measure of their sin. That's why God gave the commandment to utterly destroy them. Now you may think, well, why wouldn't God just, you know, have waited until all the wicked died off natural death and then just judge them eternally? But here's the problem with that. God was about to bring his children into this land. I mean, would you bring your kids into a house infested with rattlesnakes before you killed the snakes? Would you bring your, your kids into a house that, that you know, has got a, a rabid dog there? Oh, yeah, he's, he's a pet, you know. Would you leave your child home, you know, with a criminal or a pornographer or a rapist? Of course not. Because you know the effect that it would have in the home. And that's why uh, God gave the command back in Deuteronomy 20. You should utterly destroy them, he says. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. 
the termites, just wipe them all out, kill them all, and lest, he says, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they've done for their gods, and you sinned against the Lord your God. You see, to leave this blasphemous, sinful people among the Israelites would have meant certain death for God's people, physical and spiritual. So judgment had to go forth. So then after the victory, now Joshua pronounces this curse. Look at verse 26 now. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. So here, Joshua pronounces a curse upon anyone who would decide, hey, we're going to rebuild Jericho the way it was before we destroyed it. And, God, and Joshua says, if you do that, he said, then the oldest and the youngest, whoever decides to do it, is going to die. Well, guess what? More than 800 years later, someone tried to rebuild Jericho in idolatry. And guess what? That, some, that someone's oldest and that someone's youngest, both of them died. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. Ahab became king, a very evil and wicked king, and, and he married Jezebel, who was probably just as wicked as Ahab was, if not worse. And, and the two of them had a man named Hiel, the, the Bethelite, rebuild the idolatrous altars in Jericho. And listen to this. This is 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. In his days, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Exactly as Joshua said what happened. They did it, and the curse came. Listen, when there is a curse in the word of God, you would do well to pay attention to it in the same way when there's a blessing in the word of God. We would do well to pay attention to that. And when God gives us a clear instructions, we're meant to follow it to the T. Thus the problem we come to in chapter 7. See, chapter 7 begins with a small three-letter word that changed this whole victory they just experienced. Up until this time, the children of Israel, they were on a spiritual high. Uh, they've been experiencing this awesome power of the Lord began for Moses' death, and Joshua was taken over, a new time with the Lord, and they were about to enter the promised land. It started with this miracle, the, the Jordan River separating. They knew God was with them because he had been so faithful thus far. They've marched around Jericho now. The power of the Lord brought the walls down. God was using ordinary, faithful people to do ex the extraordinary. They believed God. God was glorified, gave them great victory. Things have been going really, really good. They're on a roll. And then we come to chapter 7. And that three-letter word there, about to change everything. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. But <laughs> the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. You've got to go, no, 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 don't do that. Something was done wrong. And the seriousness of what was done wrong affected the entire group of the Israelites. What was it? Back in verse, chapter 6, verse 18, uh, the Lord said, Abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. Specific instructions given to the Israelites to not take of the accursed things. Nothing at all. But not Achan. 
Achan, uh, he had to keep some for himself. And what's interesting when it comes to the two word studies, I found that I read that the name Achan means troubler, and the city that they're about to move in is Ai, which means heap. So I guess you can say what Achan did got himself and the Israelites into a heap of trouble. Um, you could say that. <laughs> I don't know if you would say that, but. And soon we'll see that, that Achan is going to have a, an Achan back and an Achan every place else on his body. But look, verses of the trouble they, they, they face because of Achan. Look at verses 2 through 5. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all these people go up, but let only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as uh, Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the heart of the people melted and became like water. Many times uh, uh, Bible scholars will draw attention to Achan because it's his sin that affected uh, Israel, which is true. But I want to point out here, and what I, I find interesting here is that, that as Israel finds themselves beginning to move uh, uh, into the territory here, uh, they begin to move into sin as well because they're carrying this attitude of confidence. But it's not God confidence. It's confidence in themselves. See, there are times that we, we feel like, man, we got it all together. But that's the time we especially need to be careful because many times all we're doing is setting ourselves up for a fall. Our confidence needs to be in Christ, not in ourselves. See, Israel had experienced a victory at Jericho. Hey, look what we did. We, we shouted and the walls came down. They were probably feeling pretty good, pretty proud about themselves, pretty together. Now, with the same type of pride, they moved forward to Ai, a smaller territory. And hey, we took Jericho, no problem. Ai is going to be a pushover. Don't send all the troops in. You know, we can handle this on our own. Whoa. Whenever we feel in any capacity that because of victory yesterday, we can handle today's victory, be very careful because, again, we're setting ourselves up for a great fall. Alan Redpath puts it this way. He says, apart from the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, even the smallest temptation will prove to be too powerful for each and every one of us. And that's so true. The day that you think you can stand, that you're standing strong, be careful. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, uh, to him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now, what, I, uh, what happens next I find interesting because the attitude that Joshua finds himself coming to God with is something we need to take note of. Look at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name, Joshua says? See, Joshua's attitude, uh, look at his attitude concerning this disaster. 
I mean, we know the reason why they, they, they failed to gain the victory in Ai. It started with, with, with Achan's sin. But Joshua, he doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know why at this point. And it's interesting that the problem that Joshua is having with this failure is that God's name, God's reputation would somehow be, be stained. And that brought Joshua great grief. What will you do for your great name? Just had this fear of displeasing the Lord. You know, the, the fear of the Lord that we all possess as Christians fall among these same lines. You know, not, not that I'm, you know, afraid that God is going to strike me dead if I, you know, do so much as sneeze funny, but, but that the fear I have in my heart that I might do something that would cause, you know, his name or his reputation to be seen as something not found in scriptures from people who love him. You know, I, I'm afraid that I'll do something stupid that will stain the name of Jesus. So we find ourselves walking in that fear, not, not the fear of God, but that somehow he would be, be slandered because of our foolish behavior. Job 28, 28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, it's a, it's a wholesome fear of displeasing God or slandering his name. And this is what Joshua's concern. So I love that the Lord says to Joshua here, paraphrase, chill out, buddy. It's not going to happen. Here's what you need to do. Look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Here's, here's what happened. Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they've also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You know, you cannot hide your sin from God. Lord says so clearly here what was done, tells Joshua how to deal with it. So verse 14 we read, In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the households which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So here we have Joshua giving the people an opportunity to confess, an opportunity to come clean. Listen, you guys, you got the greatest opportunity right now because tomorrow there's going to be a time we're going to go house by house, man by man, and we're going to find out who has done this thing. Judgment is coming. You know, here's the thing. God always gives us opportunities to repent, to turn from our sin. It's, it's when we harbor or hide our sin that we really are setting ourselves up for destruction. See, there's two important principles here that we see. Both we really need to understand this evening. First, when one person sins in the body of Christ, it affects the whole body of Christ. It really does. And secondly, know that your sin will find you out. You can't hide sin, especially we, we shouldn't think that we can hide from God. God sees our hearts. He sees that sin you're holding on to. And God, like here with Joshua, gives us every opportunity to repent and, and because you know judgment is coming. So, so what happens with Achan? 
even though he had the opportunity to repent, even though he heard this command, he heard what was going to happen, he still refused to repent. Somewhere in his mind he's thinking, well, I know that's what he says, but I'm the exception. They're not going to catch me. I'm going to keep going. I, I won't be found out. Well, it's about to change. Look now, verse 16 all the way down to verse 26. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites and brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he was brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said, Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, so there is to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, or literally the Valley of Disaster to this day. There's so much application here in this, this small chapter of Joshua. But, but look at the path in which Achan took. Go back up to verse 21. Achan says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Four steps of the progress of vacant sin. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. I mean, it's almost humorous that this person who hides his sin here, in English his name means Achan, because this is how he feels when, when we hide our sin. You know, our, our, our bodies ache, our, our spirit aches. I think of David, and he's hiding his sin with Bathsheba. And, and we're told in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, he said, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. This is the same path, folks, that, that Eve went on. She saw that it was uh, good for food. So she saw. Pleasant to the eyes. She coveted. She took an ate. So she took. And then she hid in the garden. She saw. She coveted. She took. And she hid. See, when we hide sin, we're not hiding from God. There's absolutely nothing that we can hide from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Psalm 139. So it's foolishness on our behalf to hide our sins from God. Now, maybe there's a, a secret sin that you've been struggling with. The question is, is, why are you hiding it? Confess it to the Lord and turn back to the Lord. And I mean, He sees what you're doing anyway. You can't hide it from Him. I mean, why do we hold on to things like that? 
Well, the obvious answer is because sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible says in Hebrews 11. But that's no reason to continue on in it because it's going to end in destruction. It's like saying, well, I love the thrill of jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. Great. It's exciting. It's it's exhilarating. Yeah, but it's stupid because sooner or later you're going to hit the ground. And we need to understand that when it comes to sin, it leads to destruction. So the very first thing we need to do is cast it before the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness and repent of our sin. And here the warning, uh, give up the sin. Don't do it any longer. I mean, this is a, a brutal story. I mean, just before they stone Achan to death, you just want to see him repent to say, I was wrong. You know, he just he confesses what he's done, but there's no repentance there. You know, this is really an Old Testament example of a New Testament principle. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And and yeah, to the non-believer, they're, they're, they could be dying physically with having rebelled against Christ all their life. And they, if they continue that way, they're going to experience, uh, you know, e- eternal death, eternal separation from God. But for the Christian believer who's playing in sin and dabbling in sin, and you're, you're still going to experience some kind of death, and it's not going to be fun. Death in a, maybe in a marriage relationship or a work relationship. And you may say, well, I just wish it would just go away. I'd, I'd just ignore it. No. See, God, God has a hatred for sin, and He wants you to be right in that right relationship with Him. All right, let's move on. Uh, um, I, I think, again, you know, for the person who comes in and repents of the sin, it's great. God says, okay, let's move, let's work. But if, but if you, you come in unrepentant and, and still in sin, you, you come with a, a stinky attitude, it's going to affect other people. And then that attitude begins to rub off, and, and it takes you know, just one person that maybe has a bad attitude because they're in sin, and that guilt that comes from sin and there's anger that comes along with this. I've talked with many people, guys especially, where they're, they're struggling with pornography. And every other aspect of their life is just anger. It's anger about everything. Oh, anger, anger, anger all the time. And, and I go, you know what? You've got marriage problems. You're angry all the time. Are you struggling with pornography? Yeah, you're right, Pastor. How do you know that? Well, it's a result of sin. And, and that's what happens in a person's life. So here we see that 36 men died but now it's time to move on. And so Joshua, uh, now we go to verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So I love the Lord is now giving them a second chance. We have a God of second chances, don't we? He said, okay, I know this this didn't work out so good, but here's the new plan. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be dismayed. Yeah, they lost the battle the first time, but but now they're going to have new orders. He says that you shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. And that tells me we really shouldn't live in our past failures. We shouldn't be going, okay, well, I can't do anything else. I can't believe God can ever use me again because I blew it so bad. No, God has another plan and, and to move on from that. And so uh, I'm trying to, let's move on to verse 3 here, all the way down to verse 29. So Joshua rose. 
and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, mighty men of valor, and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us, as the first time, he says, that we shall flee before them. But they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say, They're fleeing before us as the first. Therefore we will flee before them, then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire, according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went out to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and much of the people, and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with them went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped out on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city, and its rear guard on the west side of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now when it happened, when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that's in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in the hand towards the city. So those in the ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. No, they said, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, so they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled into the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive. They brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them, And when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua so Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise, it, raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So Joshua's new orders to take Ai, he was to follow a different direction than bringing the wall down of Jericho. You know, God doesn't always do things the same way each time. 
God never again told Israel to march around the wall seven times and the walls are going to fall down. God's character never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he doesn't necessarily follow the same game plan every single time. You, you can't put God in a box. Now, I can, can't imagine what it was like for Israel to go back to Ai after their first defeat. It had to be a little bit unnerving. In the same way, we don't like to face our sins. We'd much rather not deal with them. But as we've seen, that only brings destruction. Because if we really want to have a victorious Christian life, then we need to obediently follow the instructions from the Lord, how to resist sin, what His Word says. Then we'll have great victory. Finally, we read verse 30 through 35. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whose stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the strangers, as well as he who born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And Moses, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was, just, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the woman, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. I mean, you just see that old saying, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. I mean, they're, they're rejoicing now, the children of Israel, with the thrill of victory. Ai. It's been one. They're worshiping the Lord through burnt offerings and, and through the reading of God's word. Everyone was there. You read in verse 35, even the little ones and the women, even strangers living among them. See, when you're, you're in the Lord's will, when sin has been dealt with, there's joy in the Lord and there's joy in fellowship with other believers. And it's joy hearing the word of the Lord. You know, you talk to people and, and they're caught up in sin and they don't want to read their Bibles because they know that the Spirit's going to t- touch their heart and say, man, you need to turn from this. But man, once that sin is confessed, it's a joy to read the Lord. And Joshua, we read, wrote the Word of God on the rocks for everyone, young and old and strangers, to see as a warning. Follow God's Word. Don't turn from it to the left or to the right. You know what a lesson we have tonight. Joshua, I think, really understood that, 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 that uh, you know, Sin will keep you from this book, and, and this book will keep you from sin. That, that phrase that we've heard so often. Joshua got that. That's why he wrote the words on these stones. See, chapter 7, we saw the defeat because of sin, lack of faith. Chapter 8, we see the restoration of faith. Next week, chapter 9, we're going to see the people of Israel and, and Joshua get deceived because they're not seeking the Lord first. All these lessons that just apply to our lives just are great as we go through the book of Joshua. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we don't have to go through these same trials when we heed the warnings that we read in your word, that we can follow your word, that when we blow it, Lord, as your word says in 1 John, we can confess our sins. You're faithful. You're just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to to not uh, allow ourselves to get into that place of of unconfessed sin or secret sin as Achan did. Lord, help us to not be lifted up with pride, Lord, and and, uh, 
think that we can do anything apart from you. So, Lord, we thank you for this night and just the, your spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray, Lord, your blessing on the remainder of our week till we can gather again, gather again together on Sunday, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and do one last song together. Lord, he turned to wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you, Lord None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you God is greater, our God is stronger, God you higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. What a turn into wine. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, please come up so we can pray for you. Have a great week. We'll see you back again on Sunday. God bless.